Hey, I'm Stephen Hovatter, the lead minister at Central Church of Christ in Little Rock, Arkansas. Our goal as a church is to follow Jesus together. So we gather on Sunday mornings for Bible study at 9 a.m. and worship at 10:15 a.m. And you'd always be welcome to join us. To learn more, go to arcentralchurch.org. Thanks for listening, and we hope to see you soon. Good morning. We are the Daggetts, Katie and Jeremy, and amazingly enough, y'all as a family have been supporting us for almost 10 years to share life and faith in our Equipa Peru, and it's always a joy for us to get to be with you. Uh, we're so thankful to be here this morning. It's the first Sunday of a new year, and um, that's uh, it's amazing for us. Uh, it, it's sort of a shock to us when... Um, for us, December is the beginning of summertime, okay, south of the equator, and so we, we come north uh, for the holidays, but also for darkness and cold, uh, short days, uh, you know, getting dark at 4.30. Um, I wake up really early, and uh, so I realize it's a couple hours before any light, right, and it's a shock for us, but also um, I think it does orient us towards new beginnings. Right, and as the now as the as we approach spring, the days will get a little bit longer, right, and we'll have a little bit more warmth, and those those beginnings like that of a new year, I think, are important for us. We're going to read this morning and and sort of focus on um, Genesis one, um, the first few verses. Those those first few verses of the first book of this whole story, have a lot to say about beginnings. So I'd like to read from the first page of the Bible, and I'll read these. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. There's so much of this that can speak towards, I believe, new beginnings, and it all hinges on this, that God didn't just speak light into darkness once. What if creation wasn't just a one-time thing. What if creation is God's way of being in the world? What if God speaks light into darkness on a regular basis? This is the God of this story. Light into darkness, order out of chaos, life and possibility out of abyss and emptiness. That's the God of this story. So as we were planning out our talk this morning, um, Jeremy kind of helped plan it out. And then he was like, okay, you're going to do the theological reading section. And I was like, I'm not the theologian. Here you are. Um, but it kind of echoes what's been going on in our ministry in the past six months to a year um, where I have just kind of gotten thrown into some ministry opportunities that Jeremy would not have been accepted into. Um, it was, and we'll, I'll get into it a little bit more later, but in the women's prison or with a group of marginalized women that don't trust men. And so 
it has been me that has had to do it. Um, and as much as I like to let Jeremy do the public speaking and uh, lead the Bible studies and everything, um, God has really drawn me into that in the in the past year, and it's it's been fun. So here we go, theological reading. Um, so what is the purpose of the Bible? Um, you know, how you answer that question will affect how you read the Bible. And I have an idea. It's not about you, and it's not about me. And I know you're nodding inside, or maybe outwardly. Yeah, yeah, duh. But sometimes our mind will say one thing, and then how we put something into practice is a little different. You know, maybe we know what we, what we need to be doing, but then we don't do it. So um, for most of my life, I have read the Bible as if it were about me. And maybe you have two, and maybe something will resonate with you, or maybe you would say, no, 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 not me, but maybe you really have been. So as I read the Bible um, growing up and through a lot of my adult years, I would look, I would look for um, what I need to do to be a good Christian, or maybe look to see what rules are the right rules so that I can get follow them and get to heaven, and who's following these, and who, who has it right. Okay, these are kind of some selfish ways to read the Bible. Um, so let's start just with Genesis. Jeremy just read part of Genesis. And if we look at Genesis chapter 1, the story of creation, do you know what happened on the first day? Do you know what happened on the second day or the third or the fourth or the fifth or the sixth? Okay, memorizing all the information, we can focus so much on that that we miss the God that's creating it. Okay, so reading the Bible to accumulate information can be really frustrating because I don't know about you, but sometimes I walk away from reading the Bible and have more questions than I started with. So it's almost as if scripture is less interested about answering my questions and more interested about revealing who God is. Okay, and this is good news, great news. The Bible isn't about information and it's not about checklists. It's about relationships. It gives, yes, it gives some beautiful insights into how to live, but it's not a self-help book. It's a story. It's a story about God. It's a story about the God of the universe that created you and created me and now desires a relationship with us. So by reading the Bible, not as a to-do list and not as a self-help book and not just looking for ourselves and what we need to be doing, but actually looking for God and as a way to get to know who God is. Then we can start to build a relationship with him, the creator God of the universe. However, we can't be expected to have a relationship with someone that we don't trust. And we can't put our trust in someone that we don't know. Okay, so again and again, we have Yahweh, God of the Bible, who goes first. He puts himself out there first. He offers creation. He offers all of creation to Adam and Eve to eat. He calls, he calls Abraham. He brings the Hebrews out of enslavement. He provides the manna. He provides the water. He stops below Zacchaeus' tree. He speaks to the woman at the well. He offers his body and his blood at the table and then on the cross. 
These actions are revealing to God's people and to us as we read it, what God is like. And as he reveals himself, they and we can grow in knowing, loving, and trusting God. So as we grow in trusting God, then we can change how we live in order to honor God. Okay, the story of scripture revolves around this trust. It is making a case for a God that is trustworthy. So trust is the precursor to obedience. Okay, the people's obedience is not the first course of action they take, but rather a response to trusting God. So trust happens when we get to know someone. Okay, we need to um, take opportunities to explore whether or not God can be trusted. And as we find this God to be trustworthy, then we will change our behavior. Trust changes us. Okay, it shapes our way of being in the world. It's backwards to put obedience before trust. This happens when we use the Bible as if it were a morality-producing manual instead of the story that reveals who God is. Um, over the past two years, I've been brought into some relationships with a group of women who live on the margins of society. They have been rejected because of their lifestyle, because of their occupation. Because of this, they somehow... God has held their hearts in his hand and protected them. And they still have this yearning to get to know their creator. So where do I start with them? By calling them out, of, by, by telling them what they need to do, give them the Bible so that they can read about the life they need to live. First, they need to know God. They need to be able to trust him. So as I read the Bible with them, we go through some questions, every story we read. We talk about what, according to these verses that we've read, what is God like? And we make a list. And then we follow that up with, if this is what God is like, can I trust him? And every story that we read, we go through those questions. Why? Because as we read the Bible, I want them to see it as a story about God. I want them to get to know the creator God. And as this trust builds, will come changes that will cause light to break through the darkness. So we're going to try to practice together this God-centered reading of Genesis 1. We think about the beginning of this story in the context, and if we can imagine maybe that at the time it was written, there were lots of stories of creation, uh, lots of versions or accounts of how the world might have come into being. But this one was trying to say something about the God who created the universe, something about who this God is. Genesis 1 is, is poetry. It's beautiful. It's, it's a mathematical masterpiece, okay? Um, and, and so we can spend a little time in Genesis 1, even if we already know and have memorized those seven days of creation, because there's so much there. I think we know that the number seven um, is important for the ancient Hebrew worldview. Um, it it's, it's symbol, uh, symbolizes completeness, perfection, um, wholeness. 
I think we're all aware that, well, in, in this account of creation, there's seven days, but there's other sevens as well. There are seven times in that story mentioned that God saw that something was good. All right. Um, there's uh, multiples of seven, like the word earth or land mentioned 21 times. God, the name God is mentioned 35 times. In that first verse that we have in Hebrew, it's seven words. And what we know is the second verse, it's 14 words. And that whole section, that whole account of creation that goes from the beginning of Genesis 1 uh, to chapter 2, verse 3, um, the numbered, the total number of words there is a multiple of seven, 469. It's almost as if this, this uh, chapter this account of creation is trying to tell us that to know this God is to put oneself along the grain of the universe. Genesis 1, in the first couple of verses, we see um, a nearness, a closeness, the Spirit of God hovering over the waters of chaos. And there's, there's potential, it's dynamic, there's this tension Sometimes I imagine it because I love to make um, wood-fired Neapolitan-style pizzas. And it's like this ball of dough that is nothing on its own, but is bursting with potential, a symphony of flavors. Or maybe it's like uh, Spencer Wilson standing in front of an espresso machine. So much possibility waiting to be created. Maybe like Stephen Hovatter uh, with a blank page, thinking about how to craft how to create a message that will impact a community. Tension like strings on a guitar taught that in the hands of my, my son would be chaos, but in the hands of a master is beautiful. Music, beauty. And then in what comes next God said. We see the silence broken, the tension released. When God decides to grace the universe with words and language, the Spirit of God, God exhales, and as the breath passes over vocal cords, speech. Let there be light. And so there was light. God infuses the universe with God's first act of creation with a, a lightness, a light by which everything else could be known. It gives the darkness and the abyss color, possibility, potential. It's almost in that, this first um, act of speech, God who could have created in, in whatever way God wanted to decides to begin this process of translating God's self into human language and experience, making words sacred. In a day and time where words are cheap, pretty easy to come by, in a year that words will be used to bash, to harm, might we reflect on God speaking as a call to be attentive to our words, careful with them. God sanctifies speech as God speaks and creates all. And then God sees, right? God saw. 
God looks at the light, God evaluates the quality of what is coming into being, I think God truly sees and calls attention to what's good around us. God cares about the quality of life and work and light. And then interestingly enough, if we, if we keep following these verbs, and that's, that's, that's all I'm doing, right, in this theological, God-centered reading of the text. Um, uh, God created, God hovered, God uh, said, God saw, God separates. Interesting that one of the first actions of God would be to separate light from dark. And if we know the chronology of this story, uh, the sun is created later, so something else is going on here, right? God separates light from darkness, and maybe it's that God is weaving into the fabric of the universe ethics, morality, choice, light, and dark. And then God names that. God defines it. God calls the light day and the darkness night. As God goes about constructing this universe, God names and defines and gives distinction and sets limits. God is bringing all of life into being, but as God separates light and darkness, God is present in both. So when we think about what God is like, that this is all important, it's all leading to something, and we're not going to do the rest of Genesis, but we know that that creation account ends with God creating God's own image and likeness. So when we think about what God is like, God's image, God's likeness, it just might teach us something about what it means to be human. How might we create? How might we speak? How might we bring and recognize that presence and light into the darkness? It's an invitation to speak, see, separate, call, to create, to be part of the ongoing creation of God's universe. Um, for the past couple of months, I've been guiding a Bible study in the women's prison in Arequipa. Um, this is a picture of it. It's on the outskirts of town. Uh, Arequipa is a desert, so the outskirts of town are barren, very barren. Um, and so just seeing it from the outside gives this sense of, of being separated from life, from society. Um, so in Peru, um, customer service is not really a thing, and you just kind of get used to that. So when we come here and people are actually, um, you know, holding a door open for you, or they stop to let a pedestrian cross the street, we're always like kind of shocked because we're not used to that. And so entering into the prison, that was my expectation, kind of expecting it even more so, just a hardness to of the workers and of the women that are there. Um, but as I, I, my um, article in our newsletter was titled, The Nicest People I've Met in Peru, I Met in Prison. And it's true. Um, once I got past that first gate um, on the inside, the people that are working on the inside, they 
just were so kind and welcoming to me that it shocked me. And so especially entering into a place to where your preconceptions are, oh, this is a hard place. Oh, this is not going to be kind. This is not going to be a place that I want to be. You enter in and it is so welcoming and they just took me in like I um, was there, you know, to really help them. And um, they were just so kind to me. So it was it's been so neat being able to go in and do that. Um, so I would go once a week, get through all the security checks and have a group of 40 to 50 women that would come. And it was the same group of women each week. And they would put us in a courtyard and it's the main big courtyard. So there's women on the phone over here. There's women washing their clothes in the back, hanging their clothes to dry. There's women cooking and eating on this side. And, and we're just kind of circled up in the middle. So there's already this like chaos around us and I'm having to yell to for them to even hear me um so you know I had women there that were as young as you know 18 19 years old some of the women had babies with them because babies can live with their moms until they're three years old um women up to 70 years old and um and just as they would come in to this courtyard that is already full of chaos and we're adding more by adding a group of 50 right in the middle of it. I would just pray for peace. I want them to come into this space and may this little circle just be a bubble of peace for them. So it was a six-week Bible study. Um, and the Bible study really focused on Jesus being for the outcast. They felt like they were outcasts. We would also focus on some interpersonal relationship stuff because, as you can imagine, 182 women living together in very tight quarters, they would have some interpersonal relationship stuff going on. Um, so the first week I was there, the very first week, we would I would always start with everyone sharing their thankfulness for the week and then a hardship from the week. And the first week, this woman, this girl named Estrella, she was in the back and she raised her hand and they always stand up to talk. So it's always formal. And she stood up and she said, I am thankful that God brought me to this place instead of to death. And I don't know. I don't know her story. I don't know her personal story, but from that, it's, it's been a tough life. She probably feels rejected. And so I wanted to focus on Jesus and God being for the outcast and bring them into that love. I also wanted them to know that they can be a part of God's mission right where they are in bringing the kingdom of God to that place, to that prison. The prison sits on the outskirts of town. It's already been rejected. It's already been put to the outside of society. At Akipa being a very religious area, it's already been put outside of the church. So for them to hear that, no, even in this place, you can bring the kingdom of God, would open their eyes. <laughs> they can still be a part of it. So we would start in the beginning. We started with Genesis 1. So Genesis 1, 1 to 2, read again. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering 
over the waters. I tried to make it real interactive. We'd always ask, I'd ask them questions. I'd let them answer, let them find God in the story. So we would start with what is, what was it like at the beginning? What do you see according to these verses? What do you see at the beginning? Well, we see darkness and we see chaos and we see nothingness. Okay, so then we moved on. Now looking at your own life, is there chaos and darkness in your life? And I'd ask him and they would kind of chuckle like, do you see where we are? Yeah. Yeah, there's darkness. Yeah, there's chaos. They could feel it. Okay. They are separated from their families. Most of them had kids separated from their kids, separated from society. Yeah, they, they felt darkness and chaos. In that room that we were in, we could feel chaos. 182 women is a lot of women talking in one room. It was a lot. But then we go back to the passage and I say, okay, but what else do we see going on? They would kind of look at it. And then finally someone would say, oh, well, God. <laughs> well, God is there. Yeah. Yeah, his spirit is hovering over the waters. Yeah. He is. So they kind of have to help him connect the dots. So there is chaos and there is darkness, but there is also God. And what does God do there in the darkness? I always ask for a volunteer to read the verses when we go through the verses. And without fail, every time this one lady, Maria, she would raise her hand. Her glasses were about this thick. And she could not see, but she wanted to read every time. So she would, so I'd let her. She would stand, and all the women around her would be reading it out loud with her so she could read it out loud because she could not see it in front of her. So it became this communal reading every time we had a Bible reading. So it was beautiful. So I, I think of Maria as I read this verse. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. So what does God do there in the darkness? He's creating, bringing light into the darkness. And now what did the dark world have to do in order to experience the light? Did it have to first order its chaos? Did it have to first be, be right be good. No. And that sounds so obvious to us when we hear it put in that situation. But what do we put on ourselves? What do we put on other people? Do we sometimes think, no, you have to first order your chaos and then you can come be a part of us. Sometimes we, we might think that we or other people need to look more Christian before they can come in and experience the light of God. But here in the beginning, we see a dark, chaotic world and the presence of God together in this God spoke light into the darkness, bringing about goodness. So in our own lives, we experience chaos and darkness. 
Do you believe that God can be present there and speak light into that? Be looking for him. Be listening for his voice. He is near and he is present, ready to speak and ready to bring light into your darkness. So here with this group of women in the prison, rejected by society, even rejected from this being put on the outskirts of town, it's a physical reminder to them that society and for some of them, their families have placed them there, separated themselves. They're no longer included and they live with a tangible darkness around them. But God is hovering there. God's hovering over those dark waters, that dark, chaotic area where we would have our Bible study. God would hover. He would speak light into their darkness. And they're going to come to know Yahweh God, the creator God who speaks and brings light and goodness, even in the middle of the chaos and darkness. If you are experiencing darkness, chaos, disorientation, emptiness. If that is your experience, the invitation from Genesis 1 is to take heart, have hope, because God can speak light into our darkness even now. Like a child with a box of crayons and a blank sheet of paper, The potential is endless. God is at work making all things new and in Jesus bringing newness and potential and life. Once again, God is making and remaking all things new, even still. Maybe you're not experiencing darkness. Maybe that's not the the best way to identify what you're uh, feeling and living. Maybe you're on board with the light. And you're just thinking, what am I to do with Genesis 1? But as we recognize that we are, by very nature of being human, the bearers of God's image, the invitation is to join in as agents of light, carriers of light, helping to bring life, and light into the darkness. We are carriers and agents of God's gratuitous, grace-filled light. May we bask in it, may we enjoy it, and may we also share and bring that light in the darkness that's around us. And may grace and peace and life and light be yours in abundance.